Am I the only one that sometimes is awake at two, wondering whether or not I'm accepted? Have you ever had a load of guilt and a burden of pain, and you knew you were guilty of sin, and then the Holy Spirit, by His power, comes and convinces you again that you're His? Well, that's the experience of Joseph's brothers, and we're here in chapter 45, beginning in verse 1. And as Brendan would say, we're going to read the whole thing. <laughs> then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in these lands two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord over all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and herds and all you have. There I will provide for you. And there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father all of my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard by Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers has come, has pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all of the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for their journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. 
To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. He is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. 130 years ago, a wealthy family in Great Britain went to Scotland for holiday. They went up there to play a little golf and maybe some cricket. They wanted to swim in the lake. And it was in that lake where something almost tragic happened. They had two boys that were separated by five years. The older boy and the younger boy went to swim and they got separated in the water. The younger boy went pretty far out and he couldn't swim very well and the more he tried, the deeper he sank. Nobody saw him except the son of a gardener who was working nearby. He saw what was happening and instantly he took off his shoes and he dove into the water. He swam a hundred yards or so grabbed this young boy and dragged him to safety. When they both got to the land, the father, the wealthy father and his wife came over to see if their rescued son was still alive, and he was. The gardener also made his way there, and the wealthy father said to the gardener, how could I ever pay back your son for what he's done? What can I give him? The gardener was so stunned he didn't know what to say, and so the man continued, I will give him anything he desires. And finally, after some embarrassing moments, the gardener said, well, really, there's only one thing my son's ever wanted to be, and that's a doctor. But you can't provide that. That's a lot of years and a lot of money. And the wealthy man said, like hell, I can't. Whatever it takes, he will become a doctor. In 10 years, he was the most famous physician in all of Great Britain. But that's not the end of the story. Fifty years later, the, pri the Prime Minister of England was returning from an international summit. He came back to London early because he was desperately ill with pneumonia. And back in those days, there was no cure for pneumonia. So the king of England sent for the greatest physician in all of Great Britain, Alexander Fleming. And a few years earlier, Fleming had discovered a drug that was touted as the greatest victory over disease man has ever seen. It's called penicillin. And he administered penicillin for two days. And Winston Churchill said... Rarely is one man's life saved twice by the same man. And yet Joseph's brothers have experienced the salvation of their brother, Joseph, 
far more than once. Remember when they come down to Egypt, they have one purpose, to get grain so that they and their families will not starve. That's all they want. They hear grain is in Egypt and they want some of it. And when they get there, they get way more than grain. Remember, not only do they get sacks of grain, they get all of their money back. And with it, a command. Bring your youngest brother down here. It takes them more than a year to return. And the reason is because their father doesn't want their youngest brother to return with them. Finally, when they get there, they're there not only to avoid starvation, they're there to avoid imprisonment. And again, the Bible tells us they get more than they bargained for. They get sacks full of grain, they get a feast... They get their money back, and then they also get a silver cup in their sack. And within hours, they're back in Egypt. This time, they need more than a feast. They need more than grain. They need more than a cup in their sack. What they need is release from their bondage of sin and their shame. Can you imagine these brothers coming before this ruler of Egypt, not knowing his identity and being scared to death, having their greatest burden be this repressed guilt and shame over what they've done? Remember what they did. They sold their brother into slavery and lied to their father and said he was dead. And they knew enough about God to know that God, in their view, was always a God who would get even. Somebody has said, let others hold forth on the joys of heaven and the terrors of hell. Let other preachers drench their congregations with stories and teachings about the church and about the sacraments. Just give me the cross. The cross is the only lever that ever turned the world upside down. A man may preach with perfect knowledge of Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, but it will do him no good until he spends time plumbing the depths of the cross. For nine months, we've been looking at the book of Genesis. For nine months, we've looked at nearly every foundational doctrine in the Bible having its roots in Genesis. We've seen the sovereignty of God. We've seen the depravity of man. We've seen the picture of election. We've seen pictures of Jesus. We've seen pictures of sinners. We've seen pictures of ourselves. But you know what you have in chapter 45? you got a picture of the cross. There are few places in all of the Old Testament that testify to the purpose and veracity of the cross any better than this text. And yet, you can miss it. We're not going to miss it. We're going to dig in and look at it. So let's get started. First of all, notice the purpose. Look at verses 4 and 5. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. 
Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Now there are two verbs in these two verses that are translated preserve or save. And yet in Hebrew, both verbs mean exactly the same thing, to remove a burden and eliminate danger. And that's exactly what Joseph is saying to his brothers. Come near to me, for I will reveal to you that the reason you're standing in front of me is so that I might remove your burden and eliminate your danger. You can search the entire Bible and you can try to summarize what every covenant means, but that's what it means. Every covenant made by God with men and women was for that purpose, to remove a burden and to eliminate danger. You look at his covenant God made with Abraham, it's to remove a burden, eliminate danger. His covenant with Noah, to remove a burden and eliminate danger. His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's all the same. And that's exactly why Jesus in chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel says it this way, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Meaning what? I will remove your burden, I will eliminate your danger. What is it that makes you weary? What is it that makes you stay awake at night until two in the morning wondering whether you're accepted? It's your sin. It's your brokenness. It's his coming judgment. And that's exactly what Joseph is saying to his brothers. Look what he says. You sold me into slavery. You meant it for evil. You meant it for your own selfish pursuit. You meant it so you could get rid of me because I was a threat to you. But God meant it for good. In other words, it is. And without what God is saying here is, through Joseph, without your sin, my purpose for you would never be seen. Without your sin and brokenness, my purpose in coming into this world to deliver you, to eliminate your danger, to remove your burden, would never have been seen. It would never have happened. Ephesians chapter 2 that Henry read and portion of it. Paul says very frankly to every person alive, but certainly to these Christians in Ephesus, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once all walked. You were by nature a child of wrath. And then he says to these believers, But God, who is rich in His mercy, out of the great love with which He has loved us, has made us alive in Christ. Now theologians call this a monergistic effort rather than a synergistic effort. And that simply means it's not a cooperative effort. When God saved you, He did it all by Himself, without any of your help. This is one way 
love perpetrated and completed by God, a God who has one singular purpose, and that's to display his glorious love in removing our burden and eliminating our danger. You know where he does it? Does it at the cross. Wallace Johnson was 40 years old when he was fired from his job. And he wrote about it. He said, when I got home, I told my wife and I was in tears and she was smiling. I said to her, why are you smiling? She said, because now you can go do what you always wanted to do. And in five years, he had built four holiday inns and three convalescent homes. And Wallace Johnson said, if I could ever find that man who fired me, I'd give him a big hug. At the time, I thought how badly I had been treated. And yet today, I see that his act was simply an act of a loving, gracious God. Joseph could understand that. Guess who else could understand it? After it happened, all of his brothers. Second, notice the plea. Look at verse 9. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tear. He's not bragging. He's not saying, go tell my father my resume. He's saying, go tell dad who I am here in Egypt because I want him to benefit just as you are benefiting. And if you read the balance of the text as we did, you'll see that Joseph tells his brothers at the end of his instruction, hurry again. Twice in the space of a few verses, you got this word hurry. The word is mehar in Hebrew. It literally means get going at all cost. Now there are those who say that the purposes of God are always to slow things down and be patient. In other words, if you really want to follow the Lord, you've got to make sure you do it very slowly and methodically and wait. Not true here. It's not true when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Get going. Come on. This week, Terry Griffin and I attended two different fundraisers in two different cities. The first one was on Monday, and it was in New Jersey, in Jersey City. We had been invited to Liberty National Golf Club right across the river from Manhattan. And as we hit our shots, we could see Manhattan and the Statue of Liberty. And for a lot of those shots, the only beautiful thing was that Statue of Liberty. I want you to know. We were there for Heart 9-11. you know who they are? We didn't. It's a nonprofit of people related to first responders. That's New York PD, that's New York firefighters, that's the Port Authority, that's the building trades. These people are willing and committed to responding and rebuilding and recovering the lives of those who ran into the building when others were running out. And as we sat there at dinner and we heard the testimonies of what they do, Terry and I were stunned. It was moving. We listened to the stories of how they would build assisting elements to a house, maybe ramps or elevator. They were helping 
the families of those who were diseased because of what happened on 9-11. Three days later, we were in Oakmont at another fundraiser for the Blessing Board called Celebration of Blessings. Now, in New York, there's a sense of urgency, and it was brought on by the memory of 9-11 and the physical and emotional trauma created by the events of that day. But in Oakmont on Thursday night, the sense of urgency was greater because it wasn't simply dealing with physical and emotional needs. It was dealing with the spiritual needs of every family that served there. What was in focus on Thursday night was the eternal need that only the cross can meet. And that's why Jesus says, come to me and don't wait. That's why Joseph said to his brothers, go get the, our father and hurry, bring him down. And third, notice the provision. Look at verse 19. Pharaoh said, and you, Joseph are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. I love how verse 20 is translated in the NIV. It says, forget your belongings for the abundance of Egypt will be greater than anything you can bring with you. See what's happening here? The king is not only willing to save them, he's willing to change their lives. Pharaoh is willing because of Joseph to have these brothers and his father and all of their households to come into Egypt and get a new life. And Pharaoh here in this text is just like God the Father, and Joseph is just like his son. His brothers and his, their wives and their children are like you and me. And everyone who's been born again by the Spirit of God. You see, there are many ways that lead to death, but there's only one way to lead to life, and that's to hop on the wagons of the king. Now think about those wagons for a minute. Jacob and his sons don't own these wagons. They're the property of someone else. They don't do anything to build them. They don't steer them anywhere they go. All they do is to get in them and they are carried all the way to safety and abundance. And that's exactly the story of the cross. You don't save yourself, neither do I. You don't release yourself from bondage, neither do I. You can't eliminate your burden. You can simply repress it. Only God can extricate the burden from us, and he does it through the work of his son on the cross. That's why Jim Elliott, decades ago in South America, facing certain deaths, said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And yet you and I, we live in a world of fools. We live with an old foolish nature that says, I need to get more. I need to gain more. I need to prove myself. I need to hold on to what I have. And that's exactly why Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, says to his disciples, 
I go to prepare a place for you. Have you ever gotten an invitation to a party, and maybe it's a dinner party, and you say, what can I bring? And they say, nothing, just you. That's what the Lord says to us when it comes to the cross. What can I bring? Just you. Martin Luther said, the great, the great news of the cross is the only thing I contribute is my own sin. Jesus says to us exactly what Pharaoh said to those brothers through Joseph. Leave your junk behind because what I'm going to give you in this land of Egypt is greater than anything you've got. Then fourth and finally, notice the perspective. Look at verse 27. When they told Jacob all the words of Joseph which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father was revived. How do we know it was revived? Because in the very next verse, the Hebrew reads, Enough! Remember these, boys, these sons are saying, Hey, Joseph is really alive. He's not dead. And the Bible says at first they don't, he doesn't believe, but then he sees the wagons and he, and he, and he believes. And he says, Enough. The NIV says, I'm convinced. Now, whether the word is translated enough or I'm convinced, it's the same message. I'm cutting off all dialogue because I want to get there as quickly as I can. How does he know he's alive? Maybe in all of these years, he's come to recognize these boys are just like me, they're liars. Now they're telling me, they told me years ago he was dead, now they're saying he's alive, what can I to believe? And then he sees the wagons. You see, we live in a world filled with people who are trying to build their own wagon. In desperate attempts to try to save themselves. Last night I had a lot of people come to me I'd never met before. I'd had the opportunity to speak to a lot of folks who I'd never met before. And many of them in different ways came and said to me, what you said I'd never heard before because I was too busy building my wagon. Now they didn't say it that way. <laughs> we live in a world of people trying to build wagons, and we do it too. How do you get back to sleep at 2 in the morning? Maybe you think, you know, that person likes me. You know, I did some good things too. Joseph's clear, there's only one wagon that will get you to me, and that's my wagon. Winston Churchill said it's rare that one man could owe his life twice to the same rescuer. But if you're a Christian, you owe your life to your rescuer a million times. 
You see, resting in that wagon is not a one-time event. It's a daily event. In the cross of Christ I glory, I cling to the cross. And the reason I cling to it is because I know myself well enough to know that I always wander off. I lose sight of it. We tend to think of other ways of safety and security and meaning, but there's only one way. There's only one way to true elimination of burden and danger. And that's by the gift of the cross. It's by hearing the words of our Joseph and resting in his wagon. There's an old story of a painter who wanted to paint the prodigal son. So he went in search of a man who he thought would be a perfect portrait of the prodigal son. He went to bars and he went to slums and he went to prisons. Finally, one day, he was walking down the street, and he saw an old poor beggar with dirt all over him, smelling rancid. And he said, would you sit with me so that I can pay you? And if you are willing, I will not only give you new clothes and a bath, I'll give you a new life. And the guy agreed. The man said, meet me back here at noon and we will get started. The painter was back at noon and he spent a half hour looking for this man. He couldn't see him anywhere on the street. And finally, as he was walking away, he felt his shoulder being tugged and he looked back and it was a man who said, I'm the guy you talked to yesterday. Where are you going? The artist said, you don't look the same. You don't look like the guy I was scheduled to meet. The man said, yeah, well, I thought I'd clean myself up a little bit before you started painting. The artist said, I don't want you to be cleaned up. I want you to come just the way you are. Aren't you glad that's exactly the way the Lord is for us? When our Joseph says, come to the cross, he says, come as you are. Don't try to clean yourself up because the cleaner you think you are, the dirtier you are. You see, Winston Churchill's wrong. It's not rare for a man or woman to be saved by the same person twice. If you're a Christian... The King of the Cross has saved you every single moment of every single day. And the cross proves it. Think about that. Amen.